0: All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this uh, beautiful Lord's Day to thank you, God, for your richness, of your glory, Lord, of just your goodness, your mercy. Um, Lord, I pray that as we venture back into the scriptures, um, I pray for my brothers and sisters, that that you be the light in our minds and hearts, God, and that you help us to uh, be able to study the word uh, together and and, and fellowship, Lord. Look into the book of Philippians. Your name will be glorified and exalted, and I pray that our lives will be nourished, and enriched, and that a transformation will happen little by little, um, and um, I pray that our lives will be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we dive into scripture, and I pray for direction, and may your name be glorified, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and uh, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to continue our study, and uh, I'll read from, uh, from verses 5 and on see here Philippians 2 uh, verses 5 uh, all the way to verse uh, 16 so his word reads like this have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work both to will and to work for his pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that at the day in the day of, of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. So we're going to continue our teaching, and we're still in the section of of being lights in the world and learning to be lights in a dark world. And um, so from verse 12 and on, uh, there was a break. And and so my focus is is primarily going to be uh, in the beginning of chapter 2 was unity. Then we saw the example of Christ, so the focus was the cross, and now it's holiness. And so, as as we learn this exhortation of Paul, uh, you know he notes in the in the last week we saw that not to be a grumbling and a disputing people or contentious uh, or dis, uh, discontent. Uh, we saw different words uh, to help us understand this. And so, as we continue this, you know, to be children of God, you know, it means to, that we're separate from the sons of men. There's a difference, and that's what I mean by the holiness of our living. You know, this section addresses. That we're set apart, you know, Christ working in us, you know, and working in our character makes us and helps us be set apart from, from the world. Because now it's Christ in us, not the world in us. And that's, a, that's an important thing that we understand that now it is Christ that dwells in us. And so, you know, by not becoming, so going back to like last week, by not becoming like the Israelites. Remember we talked about learning from, uh, from, our, from, the, from history, learning from uh, the examples of scripture. You know not repeating history and and you know this will prove and this will demonstrate you know that we are blameless and innocent children of god in the midst of a world that doesn't know him and that's the point here and i'm going to emphasize this as we go into the teaching i'm going to break it down and um you know we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation crooked and perverse world in different ways and so and, and that's where the lord has left us to be lights you know, in the midst of that is where he said, okay, this is where I want you to shine. You know, remember that the light disturbs darkness. Wherever you turn on the light, it just disturbs darkness. That's the beauty of light. You know, it it kills darkness. It it, it fades away darkness. And uh, the light helps us to see. And also light helps others. It helps us guide others into the path that God wants them to be. You know, the light serves a high purpose uh, in the life of, of this world. We need light you know from the beginning of time in genesis just to give you an understanding of this you know god saw in genesis 1:4 he said god saw that the light was good and, and god separated the light from darkness from the very beginning of creation there was a separation uh, and, and and this this is a this and we see echoes of this throughout the scripture and when we look at being lights in the world we, these are all echoes of the old testament how god always separated uh, there was, a, there was a, a, a division there. And the psalmist says, it, he puts it this way, the unfolding of your words, speaking of the testimonies of God, you know, gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So as we unfold the scriptures, you know, it gives, it gives understanding. It gives us light uh, onto how we must live, how we must react, how we must respond, uh, what we must do. So it's, it's the light of scripture That is guiding us. And Paul is telling the church here, you know, to live in a certain manner, you know, so by it that they will prove, you know, uh, or that they might become the lights that God has called them to be. And that's, again, that's an important thing, that the Christian conduct is of high value. And and that's my point here, that our conduct is not something that we should take lightly, but it's of high value in our testimony. And so as I interpret this text, I'm going to use various examples of scripture So we can interpret scripture with scripture and have a better understanding and a a bigger vision of what uh, to dive into Paul's words. And so this section is about, like I said, about holiness and uh, that we're called to be set apart, learning great lessons from the past and pursuing God. And our lifestyle is a public sermon. Remember this. Our lifestyle is a public sermon for all to see. You know, our lifestyle is an open letter for all to read. Our lifestyle, you know, is a message about who we know. And that's why James in chapter one, verse 22, he says, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers you know, who delude themselves, right? James is exhorting the church. Look, don't just listen to the word, but he goes, but actually practice what is written. And because that's where the public testimony comes out, you know, nobody really cares what you think. Have you noticed that, right? You know, nobody really cares about the opinions of Christians, but they do care about the way we live. You know, and so nobody's really going to ask, well, what do you think? And and if they do, you know, make the Lord known. But you're going to notice a lot that people are not going to ask for the Christian's opinion, but they will see the testimony of the church in in dark times. You know, so we don't need to prove ourselves to God. I want to make sure we understand this. When it says, you know, um, when it says prove yourselves to be blameless, understand this, that we don't need to prove ourselves to God. You know, however, we do prove that God dwells in us. All right. So there's a distinction here god god we don't need to prove anything to god god already knows everything god knows our mind our hearts uh he knows our motives uh he weighs the heart he weighs, i mean he knows everything and so we prove by the way we live that god dwells within us and so it, it, we prove this by our choices our speech our conduct our love our purity and Paul, remember, remember the, remember the, the backdrop here. Paul is writing from prison, all right, to a largely Gentile church. Uh, you know, this was not a largely Jewish church, but a Gentile church. And so, and he's telling him, look, man, you need to learn how to live in a way that's not like your old life. It's in, it needs to be a, a new and, and better way. And so, um, where where we where we show and we demonstrate that Jesus is our joy, and that that's the narrative of philippians right that that he is our joy whether it be in suffering whether it be an example whether it be in our giving whether it be in any way that jesus is our joy and so and and this this has to do with us embracing the gospel and living this out and that has to do with following the pattern of christ you know following like i told you guys weeks ago following this is the program of humility in chapter two early on we saw the example of humility and now we see the program of humility and, and basically, this is to live the word daily as we pursue God. So the children of God are to be blameless and innocent children above reproach. So we have a divine standard. That this is what it is. We have a divine standard that, that is high and exalted. And what I mean by blameless, let me break down the word so we better understand this. So by blameless, I mean that our Christian character is complete. There's a completeness in us. And that mm-hmm. that, you know... That people cannot find darkness in our life. People can accuse us of many things. And we see this in scripture. Christians, in fact, Jesus was accused of many things. You know, but they cannot prove it. You know, that's why they're called false witnesses. So when it says blameless, it means that there's a completeness in our life. Uh, that we're clothed in his righteousness. That that we have the armor of God. And we can use different illustrations. Um, so being blameless is an important thing. Then it says innocent, And by innocent, what I'm trying to portray is purity in our ways of conduct in our ways of living so by purity what i'm trying to say is without mixture that we are 100 pure not mixed with this not mixed with that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that no that we are pure in the lord and so in not not in a you know when something is not pure it's diluted right and so it's it loses its potency and it's not as powerful it's not as uh, as genuine and so what jesus wants is genuineness in us and that's why we, there, there's a certain innocence in our lives That has to do with purity And it has to do with our pattern of life And like I've explained to you It's the choices we make Every day, whether they be small or big They need to be choices that please the Lord And that's why it, when, when he speaks of obedience You know, Paul makes uh, a light of this In, in Romans 16:19. He says For the report of your obedience Has reached to all This is Paul speaking to the Romans He goes, therefore I am rejoicing over you you know, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And this is kind of similar here, that, that the obedience, he wants him to be obedient, not only in his presence, but he goes, much more in my absence, so that all can hear of that obedience that you have. And he goes, and I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent to what is evil. Then this is not the pattern that we live in this life. In this world, people want to be wise in what is evil. And Jesus says, no, don't waste your time in that. He goes, be wise in what is good you know, dwell on these things, and uh, and, and you sh- you ought to be babes in the things that are evil. You ought not to be uh, 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 spending so much time in these things. Um, so we see that we need to grow in wisdom and knowing God, and and not in what is evil, like I was saying. And in other words, we should read God's word more than we read the newspaper, than, more than we read everything else. And this is hard for us. We you know, we live in a world where we spend so much time, uh, and not necessarily always reading, but listening or watching and all these things you know they they come into our mind they come into our heart so we have to understand that if we're not filtering these things through the word of god you know it it, it casts down our soul it casts anxiety sometimes it casts worries doubt sometimes it's just a waste of time so we need to not live uh, ignoring the world but at the same time we don't live dwelling upon the issues of the world and so scripture teaches many examples i'm going to give you three examples when it comes to being blameless and innocent Because maybe you're saying, man, but we live in wicked times. We live in in really bad times. Let me give you three examples, you know, of of biblical examples of people who lived in pretty bad times. And they didn't have nearly the resources we have. Just so you better understand how Paul is drawing from this and exhorting the church. The first one is, I want to use Noah. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 9, Noah, the scripture tells us, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time noah walked with god Uh, we have to understand this when we read this we're like well that sounds nice you know that's a good bumper sticker you know that's that's pretty cute no this is not to be cute this is to for you to understand that there's a powerful message here noah didn't have a bible education he didn't have uh uh, uh, he didn't have access to the best preaching he didn't have the best bible he didn't have fact he didn't have one he didn't have the best books he didn't have the best parchments he didn't have anything but he had divine revelation He had a relationship with God and, and, and he, it's not like he lived in a better world. You know, we see this through scripture. We can understand that Noah, you know, Noah's time was full of wickedness, you know, uh, so much that God got tired of it and so much that God sent the rain, the flood, and that this was Noah's part here. And there was a lot of loose living. Uh, There was, um, there was a lot of careless living and, uh, and he had limited resources. You know, he had wood and he had a mouth. You know, and and he used it, he was a, he was a a preacher of righteousness, and he didn't just preach it, but he actually lived it by his by by being a workman for God, and not only preaching by uh, by day or by night, but also working uh, to and so his message and his lifestyle were parallel. And so this is an important thing to understand, you know that he was living, the Bible says he was blameless in his time. So if you think it's hard now try living in Noah's time, you know, where there was not a whole lot of direction. Uh, in regards to how to correct yourself, but you had to depend 100% on the relationship with God. And so this man was focused on building while other, others were playing. So watch that. Noah was focused on building while the, while the generation that he lived in was busy playing around. And so we see that example. Let me jump to the next one. Abraham. In the book of Genesis chapter 17 verse 1, it says, when Abraham... Was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless." Okay. Now we see this. Abram, you know, was was later Abraham. And so, but understand this: God is speaking to him. And he was 99 years old. So age is not a factor here. Age is not an excuse to say, "Okay, I'm going to lower my standard of living as I get older." As something. You know, and, you know, yet God was not done with him. God was saying, okay, you're 99, but you still got work to do. And, and, you know, age is not a factor for God. God can use you at a young age. He can use a child like he can use a senior citizen. Age is not a factor for God. It's it's the willingness of man to be used by God. And so God called him, you know, to a high standard. Some people would say, you know, when you're old, take it easy. Take the foot off the gas pedal, you know, just relax enjoy a couple of sermons, don't serve too much, don't get tired, you already serve your time. And, and this is an example of, no, that's not really how God works. God wants to use all our life to the last breath that we have. We ought to be serving him. We ought to be examples and not kick the foot off the pedal of holiness. You know, he was 99 and God said, look, I want you to be blameless, walk before me. And so, uh, and, and God made this man the father of faith. You know, it's not like he was born the father of faith. No, he was made. God was building a man uh, 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 that, that was after his heart, that he, he would be a friend of God, that he would be devoted follower of God. And he was 99. So remember this, okay? This is an important factor. And so now let's go to Job. So we see Noah, then we see Abraham, and now we see Job. Job 1.1. We don't even got to go too far into the book. And, and so we see Job 1.1. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. So in this first verse, we know everything that truly matters mm-hmm. of Job. This, this, is, this is an important thing. You know, this, th- what we see here is the resume written by God. What we see is the biography signed by God. You know, Job had everything but an easy life. You don't even have to, everybody knows. Some people that don't even know the Bible understand who Job was because this man suffered. You know, if anybody suffered, Job did give us an example. And God uses life as an example of how we can be loyal, faithful in the midst of suffering. And, you know, even his wife wasn't his number one fan. We see that in scripture. You know, he lost everything. You know, he was afflicted in many ways. His friends, the Bible says, were worthless physicians. Those are words from Job. You know, uh, yet he lived blameless. This is the beautiful part. Yet in spite of all this, Job was blameless. He he was an aroma of purity as he turned away from evil. And and again, Job didn't have a degree in theology. Job didn't have the best teachers. He wasn't under, uh, under the best preaching. He wasn't under the best churches, synagogues. He didn't have anything. You know, this man depended upon God. And again, this is my, my point to you guys. As Paul was drawing from the Old Testament, for, he, Paul knew the scriptures very well. And so he's teaching the church through the examples of scripture. And so Paul exhorts the church to be lights. There is no excuse for us to be lights. We need to be light. And, so, and we need to shine as luminaries you know, through the way we live. Um, you know, this was God's plan from the beginning for his people. Um, in Ephesians chapter one, verse 14, it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So the, the God's plan was not to, uh, not for us to live wicked lives and then mess up and then come to know Jesus. No, he wants us to be holy and blameless, but our choices drive us away from that. Our choices uh, push us way, into waywardness. And so that's why later in Ephesians 5, 27, Paul says these words that he might present to himself, the church in all her glory. And we are the church having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Again, this was God's original plan before the foundation of the world. He goes, I'm going to make a people, I'm going to bring civilization in. uh, uh, I'm going to make this happen. And, um, But his plan was not for wickedness. His plan was that we would be holy and that we would be blameless. You know, Scripture is always moving us to be more like Jesus. You know, we are constantly learning how God is transforming us. You know, that this is because we are the bride of Christ. And this is the beautiful thing. You know, and he doesn't just want any bride. But Scripture scripture specifically says that he wants a holy and blameless one. You know, his desire... It's is for the church to be blameless and holy, not only for a season, not only for a, a small time, you know, but until the day of Christ, until, until, until our wedding day comes, until graduation comes, whatever word you want to use, until glorification comes. He wants us to persevere in this blameless and innocent way throughout our whole life. And so, you know, the, the bride ought not to be like the wandering, uh, like the wandering generation in the desert right in the wilderness as we read before the example of the israelites the bride the church needs to be different we need to learn from that and not repeat the folly from history and so it, it, we are not to be a grumbling a disputing people we need to prove to be blameless and innocent in this generation and now here's here's like a little, little caveat so paul interestingly he says this but then he says these words which 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 you know switch gears a little bit and, and intensify he says, the church must be salt and light, basically. But he goes, you need to be this in the midst of, a, of chaos, wickedness, and darkness. And this is, the, he goes, okay, I, I God is calling us to be blameless and innocent children. But then he puts this little caveat on that that we need to understand. He goes, in the midst. So just by the way, you know, we you need to do this in the midst. You know, not out of this world. You know, in the midst of the world, you know, in the midst of crookedness, chaos, wickedness, uh, whatever you want, to, darkness, he goes, this is where you need to be salt and light. And uh, this was the desire of Jesus. Uh, you know, let's, let's listen to the words of the prayer of Jesus. In John 17, I'll read it to you, verses 13 uh, to 18. So let's listen to the words of Jesus. He prays to the Father. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and your world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So what do we see here? The prayer of Jesus, right, to the Father. This is an important prayer because it deals a lot with unity and purpose. It deals a lot with uh, the heart of Jesus, the heart of God. And um, and this is an important thing. He goes, look, man, I, I, I'm not asking you to take them out, you know, but I'm asking you to protect them, to keep them from the evil one. And this is what he does, you know, and his prayer was that his followers have his joy. You see the beginning, you see the, uh, in, the, in verse 13, that our joy may be complete, may be made full, you know, that we know Jesus Christ. You know, his prayer was not to physically take us out of the world and make us exempt of problems. That, that wasn't his prayer. Um, and, and so his prayer was that in the midst of the world, that God be with us, that God sanctify us, you know, and protect us and keep us and allow us to shine as Jesus shined. That's the beautiful thing. You know, this, this is why uh, the, the reading of scripture is so important. What did Jesus actually say about certain things ought to be important to us? You know, and, the, and what did Jesus pray ought to be of high importance to us Because this is what he prayed for us. You know, only Jesus can keep us clean, we see. Only Jesus. You know, while we live in a muddy, in a dirty world, unstained, how can we be unstained and undefiled and above reproach? It's because God is at work in us. As we read in previous verses in Philippians, it is God who is at work in us. So the one who is purifying us is not myself. It is God working through my will. God, purify me, purify me, purify me, renewing my mind. And you'll notice, uh, you, can do, you can do a test this week. Spend more time than you did last week in the word of God and in prayer. And believe me, you'll see, you'll come out next Sunday and be like, you're right. Uh, there was a lot more purity in my life, a lot more better decisions, a lot more wise. Why, why is that? Because we're allowing God to take priority in our minds and our hearts. Therefore, that is what comes out. It, it, you know, our, our private life will be will, will be a reflection in our corporate life. You know, right? There's a lot of people who are very good corporate worshipers and it dies there and they go home and they're wanderers. You know, they they forget that they're worshipers. And, and, but what God wants is from the, the, he wants the private corporate, uh, the private uh, uh, devotion to come out into the corporate. So it's not just about the appearance, but it's about the reality. Uh, And so he doesn't just want us to be having lip service of holy as the lamb on Sunday. And we forget about him on Monday. No, he wants this to be an everyday thing. And so he goes, so let's go back to this, in the midst, right? Let me get out of my rabbit hole and jump back into scripture. He goes, in the midst, all right? So this is the current situation. This is our setting. This is our reality, in the midst uh, of a crooked and perverse generation. He wants to shine as lights now, not later on. Right now is when we need to shine. You know, light will always reach its full potential in the darkest places. Remember this, if you want to test light, It needs to be in the darkest place to see its full potential and right now we're going to see the church's potential right now we're going to see how much we shine or how dim we are or if we're even shining at all you know and so the quality of light is always going to be tested in the darkest time remember this the quality of our light is going to be tested in the darkest time right now in the world we live the church is being tested i guarantee you that people are shining more or they're dimming away, or they're shutting off. And so Paul understood this very well. And so the, the church was, um, you know, they were surrounded. Remember this, there was a largely Gentile church, uh, the, 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 uh, the Philippians. And so they were surrounded, you know, by pagan worship, unbelief. Uh, yet he exhorts them to put, you know, the past away and allow God to work in, and work in them and make him known through them. You know, that's why I want to see an example again of being in the midst because there's a lot of examples in scripture of people that were in the midst of the worst situations and yet they were faithful. And, and for that, I want to look at the example of Daniel. All right. So a young man, you know, along with his friends living under Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. All right. If that's pretty, if you want to work a pretty bad situation of, of being in, in, um, in, in royalty and wickedness in the same time, Daniel is a one. You know, but yet he, he was at ground zero of wickedness, literally. He was, he was in, in the palace with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Okay, so this is not a good situation to try to be faithful to God. And um, yet, you know, he, he and Daniel and his friends had the opportunity to indulge in the best things. They, they had the opportunity. They were young. Okay, we looked at old people. We looked at older people. Now we're looking at younger people. You know, they, they, were, they were young men good-looking, they were very, they were, they were not, uh, they were not, um, uh, you know, the most, um, they they were very, uh, these were hand-picked men, Um, so they were important, and, but Daniel made up his mind, we see this in the beginning of the the book, he made up his mind, um, that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and wine, right, this is an important decision, you know, that Daniel was determined, other, other versions say that he was resolved, um, that he would not uh, indulge in these things, that, but he would separate himself. And God gave him favor and compassion. You see this throughout Daniel's life. He was in the palace with the king, and yet he said, "You know what? I'm, I'm going to choose not to indulge in these things." And um, then the challenge only increased. And this is the beautiful thing, you know. You know, God is going to use little little things to prepare us for the bigger battles. And then the challenge increased for Daniel. It didn't get easier. He refused then to bow down and worship the golden image. Let's read that. Daniel chapter 3. I'll read it to you. uh, Verses 13 to 18. Daniel 3, verses 13 uh, to 18. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? Or worship the golden image that I have set up now if you're ready at the moment That you hear the sound of the horn flute lyre trig and psaltery and backpipe and all kinds of music To fall down and worship the image that I have made very well But if you do not worship you will immediately be cast into the midst of a fire of a, a blazing fire That what God what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands And so this is a beautiful portrayal here. This is the this is the picture that we ought to have in our minds. Um, that God was with them in the midst, in the midst of the uh, of the worst situation possible. You know, and later on we could, if you if you keep reading the story, and you know they were thrown into the furnace. They refused to bow down and worship other gods, and they said we will only serve the one true God, not only by lip service but by their actions, by their deeds. Remember, they were set apart. And this is, again, this is a portray uh, of holiness. They did not indulge, but they set themselves apart, not because God forced them, but because they willfully decided to honor God through their choices. And God was with them in the midst of the fire. You know, even Nebuchadnezzar said, did we not throw, you know, these men, did we not throw, you know, th- there, throw, you know? And, 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 and he goes, but there was one like the sons of God in the middle of them, right? And, and God was with them. God did not just send them. God was with them in the fire. And again, that that should give us an understanding of who is the God that we serve. And it's a clear example that we should not love this world. We need to be careful not to be lovers of this world, you know, nor the things of this world, you know, and only the Lord can help us in this. And in the midst of come what may, all right, come what may into our lives, we're gonna be in the midst of many different situations. Sometimes of, of, a family issue sometimes of work issues sometimes of just a uh, political uh, jargon whatever you want to whatever you're in the midst of and, and no matter where we're in we as christians need to be set apart there ought to be something that distinguishes us from the rest there ought to be something it's not just having oh man i have beautiful thoughts of god no we've said this many times it needs to go beyond good thoughts it needs to go into our lips into our actions into our mannerisms into our lifestyle, into everything that we do as Christians. And, and this, is the, this is the thing that separated even the religious folks. This is what Jesus had a problem with. You know, they had good messages, but they had bad lifestyles. And that's why he says, do what they say, but not as they do. That's horrible. I mean, he goes, you know, the Pharisees have good, you know, they're telling you what to do, but they're not actually practicing it. And that's what Jesus wants to avoid in, in, in his church. He doesn't want us to be people with good messages, you know, with people with with that, that, that with good slogans. Uh, You know, he wants us to be people with good lifestyles, of purity uh, of holiness. And uh, because that's how we're going to make him known, you know, and we can be faithful and prove to be children of God at all times. I showed you examples of the Old Testament, you know, I showed you examples and we could be going into the disciples lives. But I I decided to focus on probably what Paul would have been thinking of because Paul knew the Old Testament very well. He knew the Jewish scriptures. And I'm sure that Paul saw the life of Noah, the life of Abraham, the life of Job. And I'm sure that it inspired him as it inspires us today. You know, if we're gonna be inspired and motivated, it ought to be by, by the men of scripture. And so living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you know, we will need something greater than ourselves to help us, to cleanse us, right? And to encourage us and lead us. We see this in the examples. They did not depend on themselves. They went out of themselves into God, because it, it was not possible for for Noah to do it alone, for Abraham, for Job, for Daniel. They 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 depended upon some someone greater than themselves, and that's why in verse sixteen in Philippians, Paul says, "Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain or toll in vain." He's telling the church, "Look, you need to hold fast." To the word of life the word of god and, and so each and every one of us you know we're gonna have to hold fast and the, the pastor cannot hold fast for you this is an individual thing we must hold fast to the word of life and get a firm grip upon god's word right now we have the high privilege of, of being able to have god's word with us we can have as many bibles as we want we can have the freedom to read it all day to meditate to preach it uh, to sing it uh, uh to share it and we need to hold fast to this Each and every one of us needs to pick up our sword. Each and every one of us needs to pick up our lamp. Each and every one of us needs to pick up the hammer, you know, of the word of God and use it appropriately. You know, we will all need the light of God's word. You know, the the scripture says that it is a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. Or a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And this is what God's word does. It, It shows us, it gives us light unto where we are right now. It lights up our present situation. But God doesn't leave us. Remember this, it's, it's a light unto our path, but he also gives us vision and he shows us which way I need to turn. But it is through the lens of God's word. And uh, without God's word, we are extremely handicapped. You know, we, we're not able to do things. We're not able to make wise decisions or, or have discernment. Um, we're not able to, um, to live different than the world. And so we need God's light in our life. And that's what Paul was telling them, stay fast, you know, hold fast to this. Hold on, Paul couldn't hold, Paul couldn't grip them. They needed to grip themselves to the word of God. Paul was in prison, encouraging them while they're free, not encouraging him, right? And so this, this, the encouragement came from prison onto uh, the free world. And again, this goes to show that at times when we're free, we're more enslaved than those who are in prison because we're enslaved to the surrounding world around us. We, we succumb to it very easily. And so Paul was telling them, to stay anchored upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we are torchbearers. Each and every one of us, we are torchbearers. We light up the path for others. You know, that's why people come to you for maybe for advice, or maybe they look to your life for an answer. Maybe they see how you react because they see the light of Christ shining. And so we are torchbearers, you know, and our light must be growing, increasing, increasing as the dawn does. And so that's why Paul says, so that on the day of Christ, so in other words, when the trumpet sounds, all right, when the skies open up, when he breaks through the clouds and he comes in, you know, that when, when the Lord makes his grand appearance, um, because he's coming back, right? He's coming back in a splendor. And uh, Paul says that I can have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. In other words, I want you to persevere to the end. I want you to make it to the end because my work I want my work to last. You know, I want this work not to be just something that was of moments, but I want this to be an enduring work. You know, Paul's desire, he didn't want the church to be a one hit wonder. There's a lot of one hit wonders, right? You see this uh, everywhere one hit wonder. You know, boom, they pop out. They're like, wow, that person is doing amazing things. And then you wonder where they're at. One hit wonders. Paul didn't want us to be firecracker Christians. All right. One day I'll preach on a firecracker Christian, but right now I'll just give you the the brief uh, note. A firecracker Christian is one who who just pops out, makes a lot of noise, a lot of lights, and then there's just smoke, and then he disappears. There's a lot of those, unfortunately. A lot of firecracker Christians, they come out, bam, noise, splendor, glitter, all this and that, and then boom, they fade away into the air. That's not what he wants. He wants the church to be firmly planted. He wants us to be firmly rooted upon God's word, to be built up and established. And we see this in Colossians when he gives the explanation of this and you know for this purpose you know paul says i labor you know according to his power which mightily works within me and the reality is that one day you know we're all going to be gone you know one day is going to be our last day here and living as lights you know it really does matter it matters how we live it matters how we react to things and you're going to continue to see me this too exhorting you guys Uh, previously it was more theological we were talking about the beauty of christ which he is beautiful We were talking about the splendor, the majesty of the hymn of Christ, but now we're coming into the section that, okay, what are we going to do with that, right? What are we going to do with Jesus? Um, You know, that's a question that each and every one of us needs to answer. What are you going to do with Jesus? You know, every day we make decisions. What am I going to do with Jesus in my life? You know, am I going to put him first or am I going to put him second? You know, putting him second is pretty much putting him last. You know, he needs to be first in our decision-making. You know, Jesus is not some sort of Kool-Aid mix that we just mix into the this world. No, no. He changes everything, he transforms us. And so we need to not drink the Kool-Aid of the world. And we need to, you know, you know, not succumb to these things. And we need to follow Him and be faithful to Him. And know that one day, you know, we are going to be with Him. Uh, you know, it's it's important to remind you, a lot of people don't talk about the second coming of Christ. You know, maybe because we're going through Revelation on Friday, it's coming back and back. Um, you know, you know, just a side note, if you're not joining us, it's good. If you want to uh, if you want to know more revelation we're going through it and uh but it, as i read revelation you know i see the victory of christ you know that's what it is victory 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 you know victory of good over evil and uh and knowing that right now is our our, our uh, opportunity our chance to shine and make jesus known that's a great privilege high privilege that we have that we can demonstrate that we know the one true living god by not only our speech but by our conduct, and that we can be lights into the world; that we can be blameless and innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, holding fast to the word of life. And may God help us and encourage us and fill us. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we draw before you once again. We draw before your throne, Lord, to thank you, God. We thank you for the access that we have, in um, the high privilege that we have, to have access to you directly, Lord. Lord, I pray that you can fill us, purify us, sanctify us, encourage us, correct us, whatever is needed in our life, that we can draw closer to you. I pray as your church is dispersed week after week, Lord, I know that you're doing something, Lord. I know that you're at work, and I pray that we will be faithful to you, that we will be lights, Lord, that when we look back to these days, that we will look back to a time of shining, not a time of dimming, dimming away, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, as they hear your word um, through this teaching, uh, that they will their lives will be blessed, God, that our lives will be encouraged, uh, that we will look to the cross, look to the hope of Jesus Christ, look to the way of Jesus, and, and change our ways, Lord, change our mind, change our life, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, and we pray this in your mighty and glorious name. Amen.